The following message is by Pastor Jason Polly. More information from Harmony Bible Church is available at facebook.com backslash Harmony Bible Church. Morning. Welcome once again. It's a great day to be in the house of the Lord to worship Him this morning. Let's uh, go before the Lord in prayer. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. I thank you for this opportunity we have now to look to your word. God, I pray that you'd be with us, that you'd encourage us, bless us, knit our hearts together in love. God, that you'd give us wisdom, that you would indeed open our hearts that we may see, that you would open our hearts that we may obey your word. God, I pray for you to be with us, that we would worship you in spirit and in truth. God, I pray for the churches that are meeting up and down the coast and around the world this morning, that you'd be with them as well, that your word would be proclaimed, that lives would be changed. God, again, I thank you for your promises. I thank you for your promise that when we gather, you are here with us. We claim that promise now and pray your blessing upon this time. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So we've been working our way through the book of 1 Corinthians. We've been working our way into the book of 1 Corinthians, I guess is a little bit more accurate. We, today we'll be looking at um, 1 Corinthians 2, verses 6 through 16, and that's page um, 1141 in your pew Bible, if you want to look there. I just lost my water bottle cap. Um, if you want to turn there. But as we have been working our way through Corinthians, I just want to remind you of what Corinthians is all about, that Paul is writing this letter to the church in Corinth that Paul went to Corinth and he started the church there. And Corinth was a a city much like what we might consider Las Vegas today. It was a very worldly city with lots of worldly influence. And that uh, Paul came to this city, he he preached the gospel, people's lives were changed, and he started the church and he stayed there for about a year and a half. And now he's writing this letter to the church in Corinth addressing some problems. The church in Corinth had every opportunity to grow in the faith, They had every opportunity to be uh, as strong and built up in the faith as any other church, but they were struggling, and they were struggling with some key issues. And Paul, in the first part of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, kind of lays the foundation of the gospel. And now he's continuing to lay the foundation of the gospel, but building on that foundation, he starts to talk about wisdom and what godly wisdom looks like. So without further ado, let's look at our text. If you'll stand with me for the reading of God's Word. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6-16. through 16. I know it's ambitious, but we're going to try to cover that today. It says this, Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love Him. For to us God revealed them through the Spirit, For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, 
so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that He will instruct Him? But we have the mind of Christ. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading, the hearing, and the applying of His Word. Amen. You may be seated. So we're going to jump right into our sermon outline. If you're taking notes, the first point in our sermon outline is the wisdom of God is true wisdom. Number one, True wisdom. Look at verse 6 again with me. It says, Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are passing away. Literally, who are coming to nothing. The rulers of this age who one day will be gone. They'll return to dust, just like the rest of us. Paul just finished saying that this message that he brought to Corinth Right? The gospel message was considered foolishness by the world's standards. He said, if you remember just from a, uh, the last couple of weeks, he said, I brought this message to Corinth, this message that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh, that He came as a man, lived a perfect life, and died on the cross for your sins, so that you might be forgiven. That the ultimate penalty for sin is death and eternal separation from God. And that we disobeyed God's law. That we broke God's law. And that's bad news. But the good news is that Christ took our punishment. And if you remember, He said, basically it's like we're standing in a courtroom. And we're standing before the judge and we're guilty. And Christ came into the courtroom and said, I will take the punishment. I will pay the punishment for the crime. I will take your place. And ultimately... Paul said that message was a message of foolishness to the world. But to those who were being saved, it was great news. There was power in that message. The Gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. So when we get to verse 16, he says, yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. So he's saying, to the world this message is foolishness. But to those who are mature, it is wisdom. He's saying that even though his message may seem foolish by human standards, it's a message that brings true wisdom. Wisdom from God. And the message of this world, the messages that we're bombarded with constantly when we turn on our TV, when we open the newspaper, the messages that the world brings to us are foolishness. Paul's use of the term this age refers not only to the time period in which he lived, but also to today. It seems that he is clearly referring to what Scripture calls the end times or the last days, which is the time period between Christ's first and second coming. That we are indeed living in the last days as was Paul. That these are the last days in which this age seems to refer to. So Paul wasn't just accusing the rulers of his day of being foolish. He's saying that the wisdom of human rulers in general 
regardless of which century they live in, between the first and second coming of Christ, that those leaders, the human wisdom of those leaders is marked by foolishness. You know, with a presidential election fastly approaching in America, there are plenty of men and women who are offering a lot of hope and change, right? We've, we know that once again, the time comes around for people to offer hope, to offer change, and they promise a lot of things. But how are they going to deliver the hope and change that they all seem to promise? Is it through strategic planning? Is it through budgets? Right? Or is it through legislation that somehow this year's legislation or next year's legislation is going to be that much different than all of human history? That somehow we're going to have a new leader who's going to be smart enough to turn things around, to end poverty, to end violence. For some reason, I don't think that the wisdom of men is what's needed. I think we need something far greater than what man can offer. And you see, the problem is not that people are not desirous of wisdom. I'm sure that every candidate genuinely believes that their proposed solutions will indeed solve the nation's problems, or at least work towards solving the nation's problems. They believe that their solutions are wise. The problem is that they, like us, accept that which is foolish as being wise. You see, in our humanity, in our depravity, our sinfulness, we look to ourselves as the source of wisdom. And we fail to realize that we're often part of the problem. See, pride says we can fix any problem that we may face. That's why a couple of months ago, in response to the mass shooting in California, a newspaper headline read, God isn't fixing this. And it went on to say, cowards hide behind meaningless platitudes. Speaking of prayer. That God is not fixing this problem. Cowards hide behind prayer. And the point of the article was that man needed to solve the problem. And the way they proposed doing so was through gun legislation. You see, the world sees the value of wisdom. The problem is that the world thinks they already have it. So when Paul says, we do speak wisdom to those who are mature, he's not talking about those who have gained wisdom through learning. He's not even talking about those who are advanced in the faith. He's not saying that this wisdom that's needed is wisdom that's given to elders and deacons in the church or those who have been to seminary. They went to school and they studied and they got a PhD and they have letters after their name. He's not saying that those people are the people who have true wisdom. You see, the word mature carries with it the idea of being made complete or perfect. That's what he's saying is he's saying those who have been made perfect are those who have been given true wisdom. It's the same way that the author of Hebrews uses that word uh, uh, mature or perfect. When in Hebrews 10.4 it says, For by one offering, He, Jesus, has perfected for all time those who are sanctified, those who are set apart. So what Hebrews is saying that Christ made us perfect by His sacrifice. So what Paul is saying is that 
while his words may seem like foolishness to the world, they're the source of true wisdom to those who have been made perfect, those who are positionally righteous. And that means all believers. See, I'm no more perfect than Bill Batty apart from Jesus Christ. That ultimately, Scripture says, Scripture calls us to a holy standard to keep God's holy, perfect, moral law. And all we need to do is look at the Ten Commandments. We don't even need to look beyond that. And we say, I'm a good person. I've, surely I've kept the Ten Commandments. Have I ever lied? Well, yeah, I've, I've lied, right? So, have I, have I ever stolen anything? Even something little? Well, yeah, I guess I stole something. Right? But that doesn't, come on, that doesn't make me a bad person, we say. Have you ever murdered anyone? Scripture says, if you so much as look at somebody and hate them, you've committed murder in your heart. You see, so before I even get through three of the commandments, I'm a lying, thieving murderer. And that's what Scripture says of all of us. And yet Christ died in our place. He's the one who lived that perfect life and took our punishment so that God can see us through the blood of Christ. He sees us as positionally perfect. Not actually perfect. You don't need to look too far into my life to see that I'm not perfect, actually. But positionally, I am. I've been made right by what Christ did for me. And Paul says that those who are in that same position, to them, they've been given true wisdom. The same true wisdom. So it's not that I have access to more wisdom than Mark or than Thomas. It's that every one of us who comes to Christ and who have been cleansed by the blood of Christ have been made perfect and have access to that same true wisdom. So having seen that God's wisdom, the wisdom of God is true wisdom as opposed to the human wisdom that the world offers, let's consider the second point. The second point of our text the second point in our outline is the wisdom of God is God's promised wisdom. Number two, it's promised wisdom. Look at verses 7 through 9 with me. Paul says, But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love Him. See, Paul refers to God's wisdom as a mystery. And in so doing, he's not saying, you know, God's wisdom is something that's really hard to figure out. Uh, when I was a kid, I used to like reading mysteries, right? And you try as a mystery, you're trying to figure it out before you actually, before the the uh, story is revealed. But that's not at all what Paul is saying. It's not something that's hard to figure out. Instead, he's saying it's something that was previously unknown. But now, now it's been revealed. And the mystery that he's referring to here is the Gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. We see him use the term mystery in the same way in the last three verses of the book of Romans. Paul, in writing to the Romans ends the book with these verses, uh, chapter 16, verse 25. Starting there, he says, Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel, my good news, and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past, 
but has now been manifested and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the eternal God has been made known to all nations leading to obedience of the faith. To the only wise God through Jesus Christ be the glory forever. Amen. He's saying that this mystery that the whole of scripture speaks to a God who is calling people to love and serve and worship Him. He's calling people to Himself. And that God was somehow going to make things right. He was going to reconcile people to Himself ultimately and finally. But it was a mystery as to how exactly that would happen. The Old Testament, the, the Jews knew there was a coming Messiah. That there was someone who would come who was going to save them from their sin, who was going to make them right with God. But they didn't know exactly how that was going to play out. They had a a distant view of what that was going to look like. And Paul says that mystery has now been made known. It's been revealed. That ultimately Jesus is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament promises. Paul also speaks about the mystery of the Gospel in great detail in the book of Colossians. We read through Colossians, and if you remember when we were looking at Colossians, that word mystery shows up again and again and again. He's saying this mystery that is revealed is Jesus. So when we read the Old Testament, we should see Christ on every page. The story of the Scripture is not Noah was a good person, so be like Noah. Moses was a good person, so be like Moses. The story of the Old Testament is not Abraham was a good person, so be like Abraham. And unfortunately, that's what we teach our kids sometimes. We teach these stories as stories, and we fail to see the bigger picture. That ultimately, as we talked in Sunday school, that God says, I'm tired of your sacrifices. You're bringing these sacrifices to me without bringing me your heart. That you honor me with your outward conformity, but you don't honor me with your hearts. That ultimately, Scripture is a message of Moses was not a good person. Moses was a sinner in need of rescuing. That Abraham was a sinner in need of rescuing. And that God, in His grace, has been calling a people, rescuing a people for Himself. And that ultimate fulfillment The payment that was paid for our sin was done through Jesus Christ. That's why Paul in Colossians 1, verses I'm going to read verses 21 through 29, he says this. He says, Although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds. He says, You formerly were hostile toward me. You did what you wanted to do. You didn't honor me as God. You didn't submit to my decrees. Yet, verse 22, He, Jesus, has now reconciled you. He's made you right in His fleshly body through death in order to present you before Him holy and blameless, beyond reproach. If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the Gospel that you have heard, the good news of what Christ did for you, which, he says, was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, 
And in my flesh, I do my share on behalf of His body, which is the church. I'm doing what I can on behalf of the church and making known Christ's afflictions and filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. And he says, Of this church, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the Word of God. That is the mystery which has been hidden from past ages and generations. But now, now this, this mystery has been manifested. It's been made known to His saints to whom God willed to make it known the riches of His glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. See, he says, this, this was unknown to you, but God willed to make it known. And then he says, we proclaim Him admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom. This wisdom of what God has done for you so that we may present every man complete. Same word, teleos in Greek. Mature, perfect in Christ. I'm proclaiming to you this mystery so that you may know what Christ did for you. So that you may be complete. So that your sin debt may be paid for. He says, for this purpose I labor, I strive according to His power which works within me. See, and in the same way, Paul in 1 Corinthians 2 is saying that that which was promised in the Old Testament, a coming Messiah, was fulfilled in Jesus. See, He, Jesus, is the means through which the the disobedient become the obedient. He is the means through which God made made wise the simple. That He took the simple and He made them wise. I don't want you to miss the promise of God contained in verse 9. Paul's referring back to the prophet Isaiah in verse 9 of our text. And when he says this, he says, "...things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard, of which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love Him." And many of us have memorized this verse. And we look at it as heaven. We think that this verse is speaking about heaven. Oh, the things that, that eye has not seen, that we'll see in heaven, that ear has not heard, that we'll hear in heaven... Things that we haven't dreamt of or imagined, the heart has not, have not entered the heart. All that God has prepared. That's beautiful. But it's not at all what Paul is saying. He's not talking about heaven. What he's talking about is wisdom. The context that he's talking about is the gift of wisdom. Paul's saying that God's promised wisdom is beyond anything we could ever imagine. And that promise has been fulfilled in the Gospel. You see, God's wisdom was and is greater than what eye had seen or what ear had heard or what could ever be imagined. All of the Old Testament says, I'm going to give you wisdom. I'm going to reveal something to you that's bigger than what you can ever imagine. And then Paul says, that something is Jesus. And I want you to see The promise of God. The promise of this wisdom being fulfilled. So having seen that the wisdom of God is true wisdom, that it's promised wisdom, that's the fulfillment of God's promise, let's consider also that the wisdom of God is Spirit-given wisdom. Number three, Spirit-given wisdom. Look at verses 10-13 through with me. 10-13 through says this, For to us God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of a man which is in him? 
Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Just a side note, by the way, praise God for that. That Sometimes, you know, I think this. I think, I'm glad that Bill Batty can't read my mind sometimes here at church or on prayer meeting. That when, you know, when things happen and sometimes I think, I am so glad that no one knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit inside the man himself, right? Or when I'm at work and a customer says something to me, sometimes things pop into my head that I think, I'm so glad they can't read my mind right now, right? Or when I'm dealing with my kids, and I'm sure they're glad that I can't read their mind as well, right? It says, who among man knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man that's in him? That we know people, and we know people pretty well, and and my wife is pretty good at this. She kind of knows And she can kind of dig at what I might be thinking, but she doesn't always know what I'm really thinking, thankfully, right? And he says, in the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. God Himself is the one who truly knows the thoughts of God. goes on in verse 12 and says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. You see, Paul's point is that godly wisdom is a gift that is received. It can't be earned. It can't be achieved by human merit. That yes, we study. We study to show thyself approved. That's what Scripture teaches. But it can't be earned by human merit. Instead, it must be something that is received as a gift by the one who freely gives it. Therefore, it's, in, it's, it's entirely possible to study the Bible and miss the point. It's entirely possible to study the Bible and miss, understand what Scripture is actually teaching. Because without the Spirit of God, one cannot understand the things of God. We talked about this in Sunday school as well. When when we go to another church and they don't understand Scripture, and they don't teach Scripture, and this happens sometimes. And we need to pray. We need to pray that the Spirit of God would be in those churches. Right? Because they can't understand the things of God if they don't know the Spirit of God. As John MacArthur has said, just as the physically blind cannot see the sun, the S-U-N, the spiritually blind cannot see the sun, the S-O-N. So we have churches that don't understand the things of Scripture, the plain teachings of Scripture, because they can't. And we can reason with them, we can argue with them, but what they need, if they're going to know the things of God, is they need to know God Himself. They need to receive that gift of the Spirit. So the spiritually blind can't know things that are spiritual. On the other hand, however, he who is spiritual, he who is, as Christ says, born again, he who understands what Christ has done for him and has accepted the Lord Jesus as their Savior, he can understand the things of God. It's not that we say, well, you know, I'm a... I'm a new believer. Yes, we grow in our understanding, but at the end of the day, we have all the tools, the minute we are saved, the moment we are saved, to begin to understand the things of God. 
And God works in us and He teaches us because we have the Spirit of God living within us. That's why Jesus said in John 14, He said, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And in John 16, He says, But when He, the Spirit, comes, He's going to guide you into all truth. For He won't speak on His own initiative, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take of Mine and will disclose it to you. He's going to teach you the truth of Scripture. He's going to teach you the the things of God because He is God. He understands the things of God. What an amazing message we have from God. That God Himself came as a man and lived and died in our place, taking the punishment that we rightly deserved. And then He comes and dwells inside us so that we may know Him. Because without Him doing so, we would not know the things of God. What an amazing message the Gospel is. A message where the gift is the same as the giver. You know, we receive gifts on Christmas Day and we unwrap them. and we Ultimately, we realize that people love us and the way they show their love is they give us good gifts. But God gives Himself. He gives of Himself as both the giver and the gift. So Paul goes on in verses 14 through 16 and says, The natural man, he doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. And he can't understand them because they're spiritually appraised or spiritually discerned or understood. He says this natural man, he doesn't understand the things of God because they're understood through the Spirit. But he who is spiritual, he understands these things. Why? Because he has the Spirit of God living in him. So he says, the natural man, we can try to reason with him. We can try to talk to him and say, you know, this is what the Scripture teaches. But he doesn't understand the things of Scripture. I remember when I was 19 years old, I remember standing on my porch outside with, um, with uh, my best friend growing up. And I remember... And I've said this so many times, you're probably tired of hearing it, but I remember thinking, I am the center of the universe. Right? That, that the world must truly revolve around me. Because I am the greatest thing that has ever happened to the face of this earth. Maybe I didn't think that outwardly, but I think there was a piece of me, I was so focused on myself, that I think inwardly, if you'd have pressed me hard enough and long enough, that was really my worldview. That ultimately I thought, I have it. I understand this world. I remember standing in sophomore biology class. And I remember uh, the, the teacher who was a Christian, I didn't know it at the time, and she said, let's talk about the origin of man and where man came from. And people were proposing their ideas, the Big Bang Theory, and people were proposing that there was a God who created the world. And I remember standing up, and I remember pointing my finger at a Christian girl who Later, I served um, in a church with her father who was a deacon. But anyway, that's a crazy story. So I remember pointing at her and going, you Christians are weak people who are afraid of dying. I thought I had it all figured out. I thought in my wisdom, I knew 
I knew where man came from. I knew where man was headed. In human wisdom, I had it all figured out. And the thing is, I didn't. I was a natural man, and I couldn't understand the things of God. You could share the gospel with me, and I'd say, what are you talking about? Because it made no sense. The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God because they're foolishness to him. But the spiritual man, one who has been born again, one who understands the work of Christ, one who has had the Holy Spirit come into their life and transform them into a follower of Jesus, he understands the things of God. He can read the Scripture and it makes sense. And I remember shortly after I became a Christian, I remember sitting down and reading the Bible and going, I understand this, right? It actually made sense for the first time in my life. He who is spiritual appraises all things, verse 15 says, because he has the Spirit of God living in him. That's why. Yet he himself is appraised by no one, it says. It's an interesting phrase here. Yet he himself, this man who is spiritual, he's understood by no one. The world looks at us and they say, what are those foolish Christians doing? There they go. They're back in church again. Sunday morning, just like clockwork, they all pull in. They all pull in the same time. All right, there goes the bell ringing again. Whatever. I'm here watching Meet the Press or whatever's on on Sunday morning on TV, right? Because they don't understand. I certainly didn't understand. What would drive somebody to get up on Sunday morning and come to church? But the Spirit of God makes the Scripture evident. So while we are understood not by the world, and the world doesn't understand the things of God, praise God that His Spirit helps us to see and understand who He is, what He has done, and what the Word teaches. Verse 16 says, For who has known the mind of the Lord that He will instruct Him? But we have, we have the mind of Christ, we have Spirit-given wisdom. So just a review, the three points, three points are, God's wisdom is, number one, true wisdom. It goes far and above what the world offers. That it's true wisdom, not false wisdom. That God's wisdom, number two, is promised wisdom. That it's the fulfillment of His promise. That it's beyond what we could ever imagine. And number three, it's Spirit-given wisdom. It's a gift guaranteed by His grace that He will give you wisdom to live your life. So how do we take all of this, right? How do we apply all of this both individually and corporately, specifically here at Harmony Bible Church? How do we take this truth of what God has done, of the wisdom of God, and apply it to our lives? Well, to the unbeliever, I want to say this. If you're here and you say, I don't, I don't really understand all that you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about, this whole Christian, non-Christian thing. I don't understand this gospel thing. I'm not sure that I'm tracking with you on Jesus as Lord and Savior, what all this means, here's what I want you to know. I want you to know that God is the source of true wisdom. That ultimately, we know that we live in a world that's broken. We live in a world where we know that there is such a thing as sin. That we've fallen short of God's standards. We know that there's right and wrong. We live in a world that says there's no absolute right, there's no absolute wrong, there's no absolutes whatsoever. But we know, we know in our hearts that murder's wrong. We know in our hearts that lying's wrong. And we know that there's a penalty for our sin. And we know 
deep down inside that we'll face God on Judgment Day. And my encouragement to you is don't say, well, I've done more, more good than bad. Surely I've done enough good. For if we've broken one command, Scripture says, we've broken all of God's law. It's like a chain. A chain's only as strong as the weakest link. We need to look to God for true wisdom. Don't look to yourself. Instead, look to the Gospel. Look to what Jesus did for you. The Gospel simply means good news. It means to look to what Jesus Christ did for you, that He died on the cross so that you might be forgiven. Right? And to the believer, and I assume that most people are here today because they are believers, because they're followers of Jesus, because they have placed their trust in Jesus like I did when I was 19, where I said, I'm going this way, and I said, nope, I've decided I'm going to follow Jesus. No turning back. Right? I'm going to follow Christ. I'm going to trust in what He did for me, not trust in my own righteousness. That those of us who have made that decision, here's how I want us to apply this. Number one, rejoice in the fact that God offers true wisdom. As I mentioned, the world's a broken and dark place in which the need for answers is clearly seen. Right? And I can't imagine the sense of despair that I would have if I was left trying to figure out this world or make sense of it on my own. Praise God that He's opened our eyes to true wisdom, to wisdom from Him. So rejoice in that fact. Number two, rejoice in the fact that He is faithful to His promises. Right? That Second Peter tells us that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. And I really believe that. Everything. That God has granted me the ability to live a godly life, to get through this life, because He's given me the power, His divine power has granted me the ability to do, to do that. Praise God that the wisdom that He promised us is indeed at work in us. And it's enabling us to live lives for His glory. And number three, rejoice that His wisdom is a gift from the Spirit, right? Praise God that we can understand the things of God because we have the Spirit of God living inside of us. That He has revealed who He is, that He's revealed His Word, that He's revealed how to live godly lives, and that all of that is a gift given through the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. And therefore, in light of that, we should pray, right? That it seems like sometimes we miss the simple application of a text. I was convicted this week thinking about, how do we apply this? Well, the application often isn't that much different. Week after week after week, we should pray. God's given us wisdom, right? God offers true wisdom. He's faithful to His promises. He's he's promised it. He's going to give it. He has given it. He's going to continue to give it. He's going to give it through His Spirit. So what do we do? Pray. And then what do we do? Read. right? And study. And memorize. And apply. And then repeat. it's, It's not that different week after week. Pray. Read. Study. Memorize. Apply. He's given us the ability to do that. His divine power has granted us all things pertaining to life and godliness. And that's what Paul wants the Corinthians to know. That at the end of the day, he says, I know you're struggling as a church, but I want you to know something. God's given you true wisdom, not human wisdom. He's given you true wisdom to deal with the problems that life is throwing at you. He's faithful. 
He's keeping His promise to you. And you know what? It's a gift. It's a gift given by the Holy Spirit. So foster that growth inside of you. Lean on the Spirit. Pray. Read. Study. And as you do so, wisdom will grow in you more and more each day. Let's pray. Father God, thank You for Your grace. Thank You for Your mercy. God, I pray and ask that You'd be with us now, that You'd encourage us, that You'd knit our hearts together. God, that You would help us to remember and rejoice in the fact that You have given us true wisdom. To rejoice in the fact that You are faithful to Your promises. And God, just to rejoice in the fact that You enable us by the power of Your Spirit to live in accordance with Your will. God, I thank You again for today and pray Your blessing upon us all. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Jason Polly, pastor of Harmony Bible Church in South Thomaston, Maine. Feel free to share this message with others and we invite you to connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Harmony Bible Church. God bless you and to God be the glory.